Good morning and welcome. We're about to have massive chaos up here on the stage if I run over people. Good morning and welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. My name's Craig. I'm the senior pastor here and it is our privilege to have you with us this morning as we've gathered together to worship. I'll go ahead and let you know if you have your Bibles. In just a minute we're going to be in Acts chapter 19. If you'd like to go ahead and start turning there. A couple things I know Adam already mentioned, Vacation Bible School. Please be praying for that this week. Uh, But in addition to VBS... We have a mission team that is leaving this week for Latvia on Friday. I didn't give them advance notice. Some of them, I think, were in the early service. Some of them are serving in children's worship right now. But if you are going to Latvia with us, I know Jason's here and kind of leading that team. But if you're going as a part of that team, Jason, stand up because you're the leader. Is anybody else in this service who's going to Latvia with us? There's there's 80 of y'all, right? Uh, Seven of them. So... uh, Y'all keep this team in your prayers. I'm going to go ahead and pray for you guys and uh, pray uh, by extension for the rest of the team that's not in here right now. Let's do that. Father God, I thank you so much for the call you place upon us to go. Thank you for the Talbert family who's going ahead of us, Lord God, and serving there in Latvia and pray for them. And Father God, I do pray for this team uh, that will be leaving on Friday. Father, I pray for the, uh, the kids that they'll minister to with the Vacation Bible School they'll be doing there. Uh, next week, Lord, I pray, Father God, that you would be very real and present. Keep them safe as they travel. Father God, I pray that they would be uh, also an encouragement to our missionary friends who are there and other believers as they go and not only seek to spread the good news of Jesus, but the love of Christ with all that they'll encounter. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Uh, in addition, though, we do have VBS right here this week, so please be praying for that. If you're a volunteer with VBS, Adam mentioned it, we need you here at 4 o'clock for the uh, safety meeting, so please be here at 4 o'clock for that. If you have a child that's not yet signed up for VBS, please get them signed up. We would love to have them as a part of our Vacation Bible School. Uh, and if you're a volunteer, big news, we are going to have a, a record-setting number. Uh, our pre-registrations match our total registrations last year, so it should be an exciting time with children falling out of every corner of this facility. So uh, we're just excited about what God can do with VBS uh, here this week. So um, the only other thing I need to mention to you is if you're a member here at Malvern Hill, inside of your worship folder there is a deacon ballot, uh, not a ballot, uh, a deacon nomination form. Uh, Deacons are an important part of what we do here at Malvern Hill. You can either do that and fill it out and drop it in the offering plate or drop it by the office one day this week. You can even fill it out online. There's an online form that you receive an email about. But please uh, nominate those uh, that you think might be capable and uh, qualified to serve. Those qualifications are listed there on that sheet in your worship folder. All right, having said all of that, we are in Acts chapter 19. I'm going to read to you verses 21 through 34. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to please stand with me in honor of God's word. Here now, for this is the word of the Lord. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence. 
she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, said to him and were urging him, or sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted, prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great! is Artemis of the Ephesians. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would move in the reading and the proclamation of this word. Father God, that you would teach us, speak to us, Father God. Show us, Lord, how it is that we may surrender more of ourselves to your Holy Spirit, that you might move not only within this church, but beyond the bounds of these walls. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Thank you. Here in this passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 19, the movement of the Holy Spirit in this particular group of people changed everything. We all have those experiences in our life, right? Those moments, those times when it seems like as a result of that thing, everything else changed. If you're in my generation, you remember 9-11. After 9-11, everything got different. You remember that? I mean, we used to be able to just walk onto an airplane. Now it takes an act of Congress for us to even get near an airplane uh, those are big cultural changes, but sometimes there's something that happens in your own life. The birth of a child here uh, obviously changes everything in a family. In our church family, we're looking at this move to two services that we've been in for about a month now. And I believe we're going to look back at this move to two services and say, man, that was a turning point in a lot of the things that were taking place at Malvern Hill. There, there are turning points that take place all throughout your life. Well, this morning, as we consider this passage of Scripture, where the Holy Spirit really takes up a powerful resonance here in Ephesus and begins to work in these people, a lot of things change, not only in their individual lives, but in their entire culture. And this morning, we're wrestling with the question ourselves, what could God do in your life, in your church, or in your community if you were to fully surrender yourself to the movement, to the power, to the indwelling nature of the Holy Spirit of God? In other words, if you were to fully give yourself over to the Holy Spirit of God, is it possible that that would be one of those transformational moments in your life? Let me just go ahead and answer that for you. It would be. It would change absolutely everything. Here in this passage of Scripture, there are three things I want to point out that happened when the Holy Spirit really was poured out among the Ephesians. And three things that I think would take place in our own lives, in our own community, if we were to see the Holy Spirit, or just an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit right here at Malvern Hill, right here in Camden, maybe right here across our state or even across our country. But I want you to know that if that were to take place, it's going to take place, it's going to begin right in your own heart and life as you uh, put God into a greater place of priority and prominence. First of all, what would God do? The first thing we see this morning is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit displaces idols. An outpouring of the Holy Spirit displaces idols. Now, we looked at this actually last Sunday. And if you walk back in Acts chapter 19, uh, beginning in verse 18, the Bible says, Also many of the, those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. 
Oh, air conditioner in these pages. Uh, in the sight of them, in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. If the Lord were to give an outpouring of his spirit in this place, there would be a displacement of idols. This is what happened in Ephesus. When the Holy Spirit was poured out on these people, these believers in Ephesus began to grow in their faith and they began to grow in their disdain for the idols in their own life. Now, when I said that there would be a displacement of idols, I want you to notice I said idols, not their idols, not the idols of everybody else, as they say. No, the Bible says that the people mentioned in Acts 19, 19, or at least it appears as though they were already believers. These people didn't get saved and then immediately put away their idols. These were people who were followers of Jesus. And as they were growing in their relationship with Christ, as they were giving themselves more fully over to the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, as God was taking more control in their lives, they were being, you ready for the word, sanctified. That is, they were being made to look more like Jesus. And in the process of growing more like Jesus, these people became sensitive to the sin in their own lives. See, the Holy Spirit of God will displace idols, but part of the reason that the Holy Spirit of God displaces idols is because our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit gives us a greater awareness of our sin. When I begin to turn my attention and my focus more fully to the things of the Lord, and the Lord begins to push out more and more of the sin in my life, the other thing that He does is He makes me more aware of the sin in my life. It's kind of like cleaning the mirror so that when I look at it, I can actually see the reality of what I'm working with here. This morning, I got dressed to come to church, and I didn't notice until I got here. So I'm going to show you all something. These pants are wrinkled. You see that down there? You want to know why? Because I get dressed in the dark when I leave to come here in the mornings. I do. I get up, and I, I, I put them on. I didn't get here until late last night. I got up, put these pants on. I got here in the light, and I was like, oh, well, well, there it is. So, but that's why. If I had turned the light on, I might could have seen what was going on around me. The Holy Spirit throws the light on in our heart, in our spiritual lives. And as a result of that, we see more fully the depravity that lives within us. Y'all, when God begins to work in your life, you don't suddenly become more convinced of just how holy you are. Right? You suddenly become more convinced of just how far you have to go. How many of y'all ever tried to get in shape before? Y'all done that, right? You just sat around and you say, you know, I think I need to be able to run three miles. And you decided, I haven't ran in ten years, but today I'm going to run three miles. And so you take off running. And after that first day of running, you don't look back and go, boy, I recognize how in shape I am now. No, you look back and go, I am dead. I am absolutely dead. The more you run, the more you recognize just how out of shape you are, at least in the beginning. This is what's going to happen when the Holy Spirit really cuts loose in your life. The more he whips you into shape and helps you to realize a lot of his holiness and his glory and his power and his might, the more you recognize just how far you have to go. The light gets, gets really illuminated upon our sin. So an outpouring of the Holy Spirit displaces idols, and that's what we saw happen right here. But I want you to know that it's, it's, it's not just that there's a sensitivity. There's a, there's a cost. Giving up your idols will be costly. Now again, these are believers who are growing in their faith with Jesus. That means this sermon is for a lot of you here today. 
A lot of you who've been believers for a little while or a long while, but maybe you've never taken that next step in your Christian journey. You're a, a Sunday morning Christian. Maybe you're an occasionally reading your Bible Christian, but you're not a, an actively growing in your faith Christian. I want to give you a warning here. The day that you surrender yourself fully to the power of God's Holy Spirit in your life, He's going to show you your idols. He's going to show you your sin. But you're going to be brought to a place where you have to decide if you're going to give those idols up. And if you do, it is going to cost you something. It may cost you dearly. The amount of money mentioned in Acts chapter 19, if you go back and look, in Acts 19, 19, they brought their books, they, they, they burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them, and it, and it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, the Bible doesn't give us the exact dollar value, but what we believe to be the case here is that those pieces of silver were each equivalent to about one day's wage. So if that's the case, just understand, the amount of money that was burned right here was sufficient to care for 100 families for 500 days or to pay a man's yearly wages for 136 years. It may have been as much as six or seven million dollars. This is an incredible amount of money that was sacrificed right here. When they became aware of their sin, of their idolatry, when they became aware of it, they were willing to lay those things down and to burn them so that their attention might be fully given and fully devoted to the things of the Lord. Y'all, if the Holy Spirit of God were to pour Himself out on you in your life, if you were to give yourself fully over to the things of the Lord, it's going to cost you something. Are you willing the reality is there's some of you in here right now that know exactly what it would cost you. Relationships, finances, your, your place in the community. And you face that reality for days and days and days, maybe months, maybe years. And you wake up and you look in the mirror and you realize day in and day out that you're just not willing to count that cost. What could God do in your life if you were willing to give Him full control? How might He give you joy that you don't even know you could have? What could God do? An outpouring of the Holy Spirit displaces idols. The second thing we see this morning is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit changes culture. Artemis, or before we go there, hold on, let, let me run back to this, because I, I, I do, I, I, I want to, I want to go back to this. There, there, there's a reason why you've been unwilling to give Jesus control, because you've known what it would cost you. But have you considered what it's costing you by not giving him control? Have you considered? You've counted the cost. You know that if you were to fully commit your life to Jesus, it would require a total lifestyle change from you. And you know that to do that would cost you friends. It might cost you intimate relationships. It might cost you family relationships. It might cost you business relationships. It might cost you status within the community. And you know all of that. But have you considered what it's costing you by not giving Jesus control? See, here's the problem. You're never going to be satisfied in this world, and this is why. 
You're never going to be satisfied because God has created us for more. The book of Ephesians says that we are created for eternity. We long for more. And we can't ever be satisfied in this world because our hearts are restless, according to Augustine, until they find their rest in Him, in Christ. You see, this world only offers us temporal things, physical things, things that are going to pass away. And so we continue to buy more and more and more and we continue to pursue relationships and we continue to pursue all the things that everybody around us is pursuing, hoping that somehow, some way, those things are going to give me satisfaction. And you're unwilling to give God complete control of your life because you're still hoping that that thing you've been chasing, that boyfriend, that girlfriend, that extramarital affair, that pornography... That materialism, you keep hoping that one day that's going to be the thing that gives you that joy. Here's the problem. You were created in the image of God. Not in the image of this world. As a result, it's only God himself that can give you the satisfaction that you're longing for. The rest of these things, the rest of these things will taste good for a minute. But ultimately, they will not satisfy you. They're just spiritual junk food. And over and over and over again, you're consuming them. And you recognize that the only thing at least you want wanting is more and more and more. But you're always chasing the high and never catching it. It's because God designed you for something different. Before you write off the cost of following Jesus... Please consider the cost of not following Christ. An outpouring of the Holy Spirit displaces idols. The second thing, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit changes the culture. Artemis or, or Diana, right? You got the Greek and the, and the Roman god, goddesses by different names. Uh, she, she was the goddess of fertility and hunting. You can imagine how lucrative the business model is trying to keep the goddess of fertility happy, right? I mean, look, you want your crops to grow, you better come and offer something to Artemis. You want to have a baby, you better come and offer a gift to Artemis. Well, I'm still not having the baby. Well, baby, well, the problem is you just, if you get this idol, this version of her, the problem is you got last year's model. You need this year's model. And if you buy this year's model and bow down and worship this year's model, then maybe you'll finally get that baby that you wanted. Right? Uh, I, she's also the goddess of hunting. So we're trying to hunt. We're trying to put meat on the table. Well, hey, you need this travel model, this travel version that will fit in your pouch. And you better have two because you can't leave your family at home without an idol that they can bow down before because you're still hoping that the crops will come in. This is what's happening in the world of Paul as he's preaching in Ephesus. The problem is that as he preaches and people begin to get saved, they begin to recognize that they don't have a need for this. Now, imagine being a pagan who has spent your entire life trying to buy the satisfaction of the gods and discovering that Jesus purchased your forgiveness for you. Imagine how freeing this is. You've spent your entire life chained to this idea that the gods are angry at you or the gods are out to get you or the gods are just weird and crazy and you don't know what they want but hopefully if you'll just offer them this sacrifice then maybe they'll give you your crops or maybe they'll give you a baby or maybe they'll give you an animal to kill. This is the idea and there's been this pantheon of gods. All of these gods, you're trying to satisfy all of them and instead you hear the true gospel 
And it makes perfect sense in your life as you consider that there is only one true and living God. And though we've all sinned and fallen short of His glory, the great hope we have is in this Jesus Christ who came, lived, died, and rose again. But He died to purchase our forgiveness. All of a sudden, the hope of the gospel is not that you need to purchase something so that the gods will care and love you. No, no, the hope of the gospel is that God himself paid the price to set you free. Listen, you're a pagan in that culture, you're cutting backflips. Because all of a sudden, you recognize that you can have eternal hope and forgiveness. Listen, a true movement of God... An outpouring of God's Holy Spirit changes culture. And that's what happened in Ephesus. There was nobody, or excuse me, everybody was concerned that they were going to lose their trade because people had stopped buying the idols. Y'all, this is why. Because a true movement of God will be evident beyond the walls of a church. Here's the reality. A true understanding of the freedom and hope found in Christ is contagious. You're a pagan, you discover that you don't have to have 47 gods in your house and and an altar where you're keeping incense burned to them all the time. You don't have to continue to shell out money and, and make all these sacrifices to satisfy all these gods. Instead, you discover the one true and living God and Jesus Christ, His Son, who has purchased your salvation. You can't wait to tell everybody. Can you really keep that secret? Yesterday I drove, uh, had a wonderful day, I had a wedding to attend, so I drove four hours, well actually about five by the time I figured traffic, uh, to the coast of North Carolina and attended a wedding. Um, and then after the wedding was over, I drove, uh, I don't know, five hours back. So uh, pr- probably less than that on the way back because there wasn't any traffic. So, uh, But I spent about eight and a half or nine hours in the car yesterday. It was glorious. You should have been there. I listened to a Daniel Boone biography. I almost drove right past Camden, took my knife into the woods and killed a bear. Um, but uh, it was a crazy time. Uh, but... I've been talking to everybody that would listen about how cool the wedding was. It was fun. It was my first experience to have a wedding where I saw two cultures come together in the way they did yesterday. Now, um, this is a family member of mine, and I'm really grateful. The husband and wife now both love Jesus, and and the service was just filled with the gospel. But what we had was uh, my cousin's kid who is just as white as me, and then we had his wife who is a, a sweet Mexican-American girl with a, uh, uh, with a Mexican family. And so uh, these two cultures came together for this wedding. And so the ceremony was primarily an evangelical Protestant ceremony with a pastor that, again, spoke the gospel and spoke the truth. And they read their vows to one another. And, and when my, my cousin's kid got ready to read his vows, he read his vows. And then he turned over a page and he read his vows in Spanish. I was like, wow, way to love your wife. Good job. Way to love your in-laws. And then they, they did um, uh, some Spanish ceremonies as a part of the service. They didn't light a, a unity candle like us boring white people do. They tied each other together with a lasso. And I was like, yes, this is what I'm here for. It was amazing. It was wonderful. And then the, uh, the, uh, the, the reception, there was like a 16-piece mariachi band, and there were tacos, and there was beans and steak, and it was just so much fun. It was awesome. I got to see, I got to see this, this man do his last dance with his mom to, uh, to, to an old country song. And then I got to see uh, this young lady do her last dance with her dad to a traditional Mexican song. And just to see these two cultures just come together. I mean, I've been telling the story over and over. 
I'm glad y'all are here so I can tell it because I had so much fun. Y'all, we tell stories that matter in our life. We do. And this is why a movement of God, a real movement of God, a real outpouring of God's Holy Spirit can't be confined inside the walls of the church. Because when you discover that you can be set free from the burdens of your sin, the consequences of your sin, you can be set free from the rat race around, you can be set free from trying to keep up with the Joneses, you can be set free from the paganism of this world. When you discover that Jesus Christ is enough and that He died to save you from your sins... And that other people can have access to that same salvation. Folks, it's kind of hard to keep that in. You just kind of want to tell it. It just leaks out all over the place. This is why a movement of God can't be hidden. Because he moves among his people. And his people, as they grow in their commitment to him, and as they grow in their obedience, and as they grow in their sort of giving themselves over fully to the Holy Spirit of God, then they grow in their understanding and application of the Great Commission. And they grow in their evangelism. And they grow in their love for neighbor. And they grow in their love for the Lord. And the world around them begins to look drastically different. Y'all, if our community doesn't look different because we are here, we are not doing what we're supposed to do. Now, I want y'all to know, a lot of y'all do what you're supposed to do. It's fun for me when I'm out in the community, and they find out who I am, and they say, man, I love the people from your church. Boy, my heart grows. I mean, my heart just grows when people say something like that. I love it when I occasionally pray for a server at a restaurant, and they say, do you go to that Malvern Hill Baptist Church? Yeah, how'd you know that? Well, there was this other guy in here praying for me last week, and that's where he went. Nobody else does that, so it must be you. I say, yes, I'm the leader, and I train them to do all of these things. <laughs> Y'all, true movement of God will be evident beyond the walls. We can't keep this secret. Why would we? That's what's happening in Ephesus. There's not like a, a, a boycott that's going around. Nobody flew a flag. Well, we better hurry up and boycott. Uh, we better hurry up and boycott Demetrius because y'all know he's, uh, he's, he's crazy. No, he didn't have to do that. He just started losing his business. This is why he started losing his business, because the people of God got serious about the things of God. Let me tell you something. When they burned $6 million worth of books, they were no longer interested in purchasing the little silver figurines of Artemis. That's what scared him to death. Don't miss this. I mean, you, you read this, and he sounds like a politician on a, on a late-night talk show. I mean, he gets crazier. Oh, I can't find it because, y'all, the air conditioner blows right here and it turns the pages in my Bible. Um, so if one of y'all could come up with a solution, I'd appreciate that. Um, but what, what happens is, and there's a reason, we, your Bible has these divisions, right? So, like, your, mine says the sons of Sceva and then it says a riot at Ephesus. And those are helpful for us as we're reading God's Word and trying to find our places. But don't miss the fact that those were added later, like way later. Some of your Bibles might not even have those little divisions. That, that's not in the original text. The original text is just this one story about how they burn these books, and then after these events, Paul's doing all this, and then there's a riot in Ephesus, and Demetrius is going nuts. He's like, look at these people. They're upsetting the whole world, and there's not going to be any money left. And it's not just here. It's going to spread all over Asia. And the next thing you know, even the temple of Artemis is going to be under attack. 
Great politician. He's rallying the troops. And he gets everybody worked up in such a, such a crazy um, mess that they show up to a riot. And, and what do we read? Some of them don't even know why they're there. They're just there. Hey, everybody's here. I'm going to be here too. Y'all running. I'm running. What's going on? But why was he really afraid? He was afraid because when he saw them burn $6 million worth of books, he knew these people had lost their minds. He knew they were no longer concerned about what other people thought about them. He knew they were no longer concerned to try to satisfy any pagan gods. When he saw that kind of sacrifice, he knew that it wasn't just books that were on fire. It was these followers of Jesus who were on fire. And they were going to set the world ablaze in a different kind of way. Y'all, the movement of God is going to be evident beyond the walls of the church. The third this morning, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit demands a decision. There are a few times in my life when everything changed. A few times. 1998, uh, me and this Bible... 1998, I was in high school. I had a friend that died in a car wreck. Uh, completely a transformational moment uh, for teenagers when that kind of stuff happens. It's also when the Lord called me to ministry. It's a very transformational point in, in time in my life. Um, 2005, I got married. 2007, I had my first kid. Those are transformational moments in a person's life. In 2010, for the, the eight of you who were, still, who were here in 2010, like, that was a, a transformational moment in our church. We went through a lot of things together as a church body. It was transformational for me. Like I, I, I went through depression. I mean, just all kind of nut, just nutty, crazy, spiritual warfare things that were going on in my life personally and in our church. It's a transformational moment. We have these transformational moments. And when those things happen, everything changes. And the reality is that when those things happen, we are faced with a choice. Especially when they're hard things. We can move on or we can get stuck right there. Y'all, when the Holy Spirit shows up, when we encounter the Holy Spirit, it's a transformational moment in our life. And we don't stay the same after that. And when we encounter the Holy Spirit, we are faced with a decision. Period. Joshua 24, 15. Choose you this day whom you will serve. What does he say? He says you can either serve the Lord or you can serve the gods beyond the river, but you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. You do. You can chase money. You can chase popularity. You can chase culture. You can chase fame. But you can't chase all those and chase Jesus. You've got to make a choice. We do. We have to make a choice about where we're going to stand on issues of sexuality. We have to make a choice about where we're going to stand on the exclusivity of Jesus. We have to make those decisions. There, there's no other choice. Let me back up. Hold on. <laughs> Let me say it this way. There, there, some of you think you're just not going to choose. When you choose to not choose, you just made a choice. And this is how you choose. You choose with your feet. You choose... Well, your wallet, you know where most of you are choosing with? Your attention. Your time. 
You see, there is no middle ground. I carried my, my backpack up here with me this morning, and uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hoarder. Like I'm, I'm a pack rat when it comes to this backpack. There's, there's a lot of stuff in here. This thing weighs about 17 pounds right now. Um, and now the good thing is, if you call me and say, hey, Let's roll out today. I'm ready. Where are we going? I got everything I need. Let's go. You know, I mean, I've got, I, I got two days worth of protein powder just in case. I've got my water bottle. There's a first aid kit. I got it all. Y'all can judge me. I don't even care. Y'all can laugh at me. That's fine. But you know what? Nobody's laughing when they need Advil because I got Advil. All right? I got it. Nobody's laughing when they need a Band-Aid because I have a Band-Aid. It's right here. And if you're thirsty, I got this too. We're good. You know what? There's even a Frisbee in here. There's toys to entertain your children. It's all right here. But, but again, I, I'm a pack rat, and there's so much stuff in here that I got to be intentional about how I get it in here. Right? And I got to decide what the purpose is for this bag. If I was going backpacking today, there would not be a laptop in here, okay, at all. But I'm not. So this bag's primarily packed for me to work out of right now. And so there's, there's a computer in here. There's like 487 books. Uh, there's not that many, but I think there's five. Um, there's books in here, right? There's all this other stuff. But it has to go in in a certain way or it won't all fit. As a matter of fact, my little first aid kit, it has one place that it goes. It goes in first before everything else does. It's all the way down in the bottom of the bag. Now, the bad thing is if something goes down and it gets really bad, i got to empty everything out to get to it, okay? So if y'all need it quick, you better find somebody else. But if you can wait a minute, I got you. But it goes all the way down. It has to lay flat so other stuff can sit on top of it. There's a certain kind of way. Some of y'all are living your spiritual life in the wrong kind of way. You see... If I don't put things in here in just the right way, they don't all fit. Some of y'all have packed everything else into your life, and then you're hoping to squeeze Jesus into the margins. I'll put everything else in there, and then if there's leftover time, I'm going to give it to Jesus. Well, it's no big deal, Craig, because there's always room. I mean, you got these little pouches on the outside. Nope, that one's full. Well, I'll just put Jesus over here. Well, you know, what happens when we stick him in the, in the margins... The bad thing about this is this little pouch is, is pretty insecure and it, and it turns out that everything falls out. And some of y'all have stuck Jesus in the margins. You filled your life up with everything else and you bought the lie that following Christ will cost you absolutely nothing. And so you can have everything. And then somehow Jesus kind of gets in there as well. Folks, there's no middle ground. Your decision must be what comes first. And you always choose even if you don't acknowledge it. You choose what comes first by deciding if you're going to give time to Jesus every single day in a quiet time. You choose what comes first by deciding whether or not you're going to write church attendance into your calendar in ink first. Instead of trying to fit your church attendance in around all the other things that might come up on a Sunday. You make your decision when you decide where you're going to spend your money. You make your decision when you decide where you're going to spend your attention. You make your decision when you decide where you're going to spend your time. 
Folks, you make your decision when you decide who you're going to spend your time with and how you're going to engage. Too many followers of Jesus have bought the lie that they could somehow follow Jesus and hold on to their magic books. That they could follow Jesus and cling to their idols. Let me just ask you this question. What could God do with you if you're completely sold out to his Holy Spirit? What could God do with you if you were completely sold out to his Holy Spirit? What could God do through you? How would your family change? How would your job change? How would you impact your community? What if people didn't see you with a bag overflowing with everything else, but they saw you with a bag with Christ right in the middle and everything else shoved into the margins where they would go, but Jesus never got dislodged? Jesus talked about us building our house on the rock. Listen, this sermon, this sermon's for you if you don't know Jesus. Because it's an invitation to come and to find out just how much he loves you and how he can set you free from all of your efforts to chase after the, the, the satisfaction that this world will always let you down with. It's your opportunity to be forgiven for your sins. It's your opportunity to find joy and satisfaction in Jesus. But for believers, this sermon's for you as well. Because I remind you that these believers in Ephesus were already followers of Jesus when they came and began burning these books. They were believers who decided finally that they were going to take that next step in their spiritual journey. And they were going to give themselves fully to the Lord. They counted the cost. And they were willing to burn their idols. So that they could give God their full devotion and full attention. Are you willing today to set it all on fire? So that Jesus can receive glory in your life. Pray with me. Father God, I pray that you would move among us today. Pray that we would be willing to give your Holy Spirit attention, devotion, and commitment. Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to count the cost and to give it to you. Pray these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand with us as we sing this morning.